Oh, Father, you are the God of revival, and it has been our prayer for the last two years that you would bring revival to our church and our sister churches in the valley, that you would bring an awakening that the lost in this valley would understand their need for you and come to know Christ as Savior. And Father, we can, we can go out and invite we can go out and talk and witness to people and we can do all that, but we can't do any of it without you. Without your power and your grace, your word says that one plants and one waters, but you bring the increase. And so, Father, we pray that you would be the one to bring the increase, that your spirit would be at work. As we turn our hearts and minds to your word and continue in an attitude of worship, I pray that you would speak to us, that our hearts would be open that you would give us ears to hear, and that your spirit would be our guide. In Jesus' name, amen. James chapter 5, verse 1. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. James always starts us off with something encouraging, <laughs> right? Every chapter is another flower of encouragement from from James Re, you rich weep and howl for your miseries are coming upon you thanks James your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth eaten your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire he just keeps piling on the encouragement you have heaped up treasure in the last days indeed the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. That's a weird word. It means the Lord of Heaven's armies. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts, as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. Who does not rejoice, Jesus? Therefore, and this was weird. I was going to stop there. But then the word therefore is there. And the word therefore means, what's it there for? It means it connects these two parts of this passage are connected, which kind of boggled my mind. But it's there, so we're doing the whole thing, or not the whole thing, but this next section. Therefore, right, because the wealthiness, because riches, because all of that is fleeting, which we're going to talk about in a moment, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be contemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. So last week, we were taught not to judge our brethren nor to assume concerning the future. This week, this is not the first time James has talked about money and the deceitfulness of riches. That's what Jesus calls it in Matthew 13, 22, the deceitfulness of riches. James will once again warn those who trust in riches 
And then we will turn to being patient for the coming of the Lord, revisit not judging our brethren, and we will end today by looking at the importance of honesty in the lives of those who follow Jesus. So in the opening six verses, we're going to read it again. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you, and you will eat and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just, and he does not resist you. Jesus warned us, as I mentioned a moment ago, in Matthew 13, 22, that the deceitfulness of riches can choke out the fruitfulness of our walk with Christ. James is communicating basically the same thing. He's telling those who trust in their riches to repent, weep, or howl for the misery that is coming upon them from the corruption of their riches. And the corruption of their riches is presented in two ways in this passage. Now, before I move forward, I want to make a comment about being rich. Right? How many of you have follow the news even a little bit? Right? You got good old Elon Musk. Now, I, I like Elon. He built a cool car. It's got a big TV in it. Kind of hard to beat that. Right? It, it runs on, on fairy dust or something. Uh, at least that's what the people who buy them believe, right, is that they run on fairy dust. They, they ignore the fact that electricity is made by cold-fired plants. But that, that's not the point, right? One of my favorite pictures on the Internet with electric cars is an electric car that died, and somebody drove a big old truck hauling a diesel generator up to it to recharge it. Go ahead and think about the irony there. Um, and don't get me wrong, electric cars don't bother me. They're just not going to save anything. Um, they're, you know, cool, but, well, this week, um, Elon Musk, well, maybe it was last week, I don't remember, what, he spent $47 billion to buy Twitter, right? I have to think before I spend $47, <laughs> right? If, if I see something, boy, 47 bucks, I kind of like it, right? I spent, I, well, I shouldn't tell you, but I spent like 100 bucks on a new pair of Birkenstocks this week. You get, you got to... Right, you're supposed to be part of the culture around you, so you've got to wear Birkenstocks here in the valley. Um, and besides that, I, I love them, and they're very comfortable. <laughs> and I was like, well, I, I prayed about it. I'm like, Lord, that's a lot of money for a pair of sandals. I, I need a new pair. My old ones are like four years old and worn out. But that's a lot of money for a pair of sandals. And, and I felt like God said it was okay, and I thought, i got to pray about that. Elon Musk is sitting in his house one day, and he goes, you know, I want to buy Twitter. How much is that? $47 billion? I'll write a check. What? How do you? That's a lot of money. So when we compare ourselves to somebody like Elon Musk, we're not all that rich. Right? Now, compare yourselves to 90% of the rest of the world. Right? Because Elon Musk, well, he's not really the standard, is he? Elon or Jeff Bezos, uh, the former CEO of Amazon or or uh, what's the guy who, who made all the computer software? Uh, Bill Gates. Bill Gates. Um, anyways, there are people that we look at and we go, well, they're rich. I'm not rich. 
Do you know if you make more than $24,000 a year, you're in the top, I want to say it's 10% of wage earners on earth. 24,000. Once you go over, I think it's over 50,000, you jump up to the top 2% of wage earners on the planet. So you may not think you're particularly rich, but compared to most of the world, we all are. Now, why do I say that? Is it because I want to make you feel guilty? Is there something wrong with having money? No. But there is something wrong when money has you. And that's what James is getting at. That's why Jesus was warning us against the deceitfulness of riches. Not because it's a sin to have money, but it's a sin when we trust that money and don't trust God. That's what becomes a sin. I have met people who are wealthy. Um, and by even my our standards. And I've met people who were very miser-like. And I've met people who were very generous. And I've met people who clearly trusted in their money. And I've met people who clearly trusted in God. And they thanked him for the money and asked him on a regular basis what they could do with it to further his kingdom. It just depends. But James does present the corruption of riches in two ways in this passage. The first is that their riches will corrupt. In other words, they won't last. Look at some of the ways James describes this. He talks about moth-eaten garments and corroded metals. Right? I, four years ago, I spent, well, back then, they were only about 80 bucks for a new pair of Birkenstocks. And over the course of four years, I wore them out. The bottom was smooth. The leather was falling apart. The dog chewed up the backs of them, um, which made them very uncomfortable to wear. Or I probably wouldn't have bought a new pair, but they were digging into my heel. Um, they wore out. That's what happens. Metals corrode. Have you ever seen a really old penny? I, mean, I know not pennies, not a lot of money, but it, it goes away. This is the reality of money. There's nothing wrong with having it. There's nothing wrong with being wealthy as long as we trust God above that wealth. It's the love of money that's the problem, according to 1 Timothy 6.10. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not money itself. Money is an inanimate object. It's when we love it that it becomes the root of all kinds of evil. In the end, wealth will not last. Proverbs 27.24 tells us riches are not forever just straight out. You can't take it with you, as they say. And even the most prudent financial person will not benefit in eternity from being wealthy here. And you get to heaven, I was worth $300 billion. And God will be like, and what did you do with my son? Well, but I was worth 300. I bought Twitter. What did you do with my son? Now, we may benefit in eternity from being generous, according to 2 Corinthians 9, 6. We reap what we sow. If we sow sparingly, we reap sparingly. If we sow bountifully, we reap bountifully. So we're going to go get those offering plates and send them around. Again. No, I'm joking. I'm so joking. You guys know me better than that. Of course, I've made that joke before. Every time I get a few chuckles. God wants us to be generous. But 
That doesn't get us into heaven. It's knowing Jesus Christ. Next, the second way he presents the corruption of riches is the corruption that comes from riches. He points out the corruption that comes from riches. He describes this as a person whose riches will eat your flesh like fire. And he gives examples of holding back the wages of their hired hands while living in luxury. They even condemn others or murder others, all to protect their own wealth. And while wealth does not last, having the wrong attitude towards wealth and not trusting in God can have a corrupting effect on a person, causing them to do things that they might not normally do in order to either gain more wealth or to keep what they've already accumulated. You ever notice a person who's rich, what they will do to get more money? How many of you, you got VeggieTales, right? We know VeggieTales? Madam Blueberry. You guys remember Madam Blueberry? All right, this is your homework. VeggieTales, Madam Blueberry. But they, they looked at Bob and Larry are talking, and Bob looks at Larry because Larry wants all this stuff, and Bob says, well, how much stuff do you need to be happy? And Larry says, I don't know. How much stuff is there? <laughs> is that not our attitude? Right? Just, just a little bit more. Well, if you've got a million, well, then I want 10 million. If you've got 10 million, I want 100 million. If you've got 100 million, I want a billion. If you've got a billion, I want three. Who could even spend $300 billion? I mean, set me loose in the biggest music store around, and then I'll go to the Apple store next door. I'll buy everything they've got. And it would be like I didn't even spend any money. Who needs that? I don't. But James is offering a stark warning against us. Jesus did the same thing. In the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21, he tells us, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. And we can lead our hearts by being faithful stewards of what God has given us. Because where we put our money, where we put those things that are most valuable to us, not just our money, but our time, where we're emotionally invested, well, that's where our heart's going to be. And since out of our heart issue the, or spring the issues of life, then we need to lead our hearts because we also know our hearts are deceitful and wicked above all things. Jeremiah 17, 9. Remember I said that to a person once. You know your heart is deceitfully wicked above all things? No, it's not. Flip to Jeremiah 17, 9. It says it right there in the Bible. Well, uh, well, that, that's just, you know, you can't argue with the Bible. At least you shouldn't. And God just wants us to be good stewards of what he's given us. It doesn't mean we can't have stuff. It doesn't mean it's a sin to have money. But does it have us? And what do we do with it? Right? And this is not me pleading with you to give more money to the church. Or pleading with you to give money to Legacy. Or pleading with you just to give me money. I mean, just skip the middleman altogether, right? It's not what I'm doing. It's for all of us. What are we doing with what God has given us. And not just the dollar bill. But what are we doing with what God has given us? 
Are we using it for his glory? Or are we using it for ourselves? That's what we're being warned against. And from that, verse 7 pops up, therefore, well, because money isn't the issue, or isn't, let me rephrase that, because money shouldn't be our focus, it can be an issue, but because money shouldn't be our focus, because we shouldn't allow it to corrupt us, and we should recognize that it's not going to last forever, because of that, therefore, because of that, be patient, my brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer, oops, I have too many pages. See, oh, well, still too many pages. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. So because money and, and the, these things of the world are not to be our focus, Instead, we should be patient and have perseverance. Now, just by raise of hands, how many of you know that you're perfectly patient and never have any problems with that? I love how honest y'all are. I, my hand was just going up as an example. You guys know me well enough to know that patience and I have a very serious communication problem. Um, Part of me wants to be patient, um, and I just can't wait till I'm patient. I want to be patient, and I want to be patient now. James turns to an exhortation that we be patient until the coming of the Lord, knowing that it is at hand. And we've discussed this before. I will not attempt to predict Jesus' return, right? I'm not that dumb. I'm not going to tell you, write this date down. He's coming back. He is coming back, but I have no idea what the date is. Uh, and whether he comes for all of us with a trumpet sound, or whether he comes for us as an individual, which we can't plan for, we don't know when that's going to happen, our time here is relatively short. And we discussed that at length last week. So just as the farmer waits for the former and latter rain before the harvest, so we must be patient. The word for patient here means long-spirited, long-suffering, and enduring. Psalm 27, 14 says, Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Isaiah 40, 31 reminds us that when we wait on the Lord, He will renew our strength. Waiting does not mean inaction. Waiting does not mean inaction. We've seen Forrest Gump, most of us. You ever seen Forrest Gump? Forrest is sitting on the bench with his box of chocolates telling his story about Jen Mary. 
right? And what is he doing? He's waiting for the bus until some nice woman says, well, you don't need to wait for the bus. The address you're looking for is a couple blocks over. So he gets up and he goes. But that's how we picture waiting. Waiting means sitting there, doing nothing, and well, one day the bus will come. Yeah, one day Jesus is going to come back. I'm just going to sit here and relax till he does. That's not what waiting means. Waiting, in the biblical sense, well, it can mean patient because we are waiting for his return, but it doesn't mean sitting on our rear ends. Think of a waiter at a restaurant or a waitress. What are they doing as they wait on you? They're serving you. They're serving you. And that's what we're supposed to do as we wait on the Lord. We are supposed to serve him and serve the people around us until he comes back to get us. And again, whether that's he comes back to get us or he just comes back for me or you, one way or the other, he's coming back. And so while we wait on him, while we serve him, we establish our hearts. The word established there means to set fast, turn resolutely, or confirm. Colossians 2, 6 through 7 says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. I've always loved this phrase, rooted and built up. I, uh, I'm actually getting to that time again. I need to spray the rocks in my front yard because the weeds are starting to pop up. But last year, I waited until right before July 4th, right before we had everybody over for the fireworks to clean up my front yard. And I, I had weeds that were, well, they were the size of small children. And so I sprayed them all, hoping that that would kill them and I'd be able to pull them up. But uh-uh, because the taller they got, the deeper the roots went. And I'm a, I'm a pretty beefy guy. And I would grab on with both hands and, and I would lean, right? So my weight versus a weed. And I couldn't get the weed to come out. And then I'd go get the shovel and I'd stab at it because I was angry at that point as I practiced all the patience I have. And, and, and finally, I would chop away enough of it that I could rip it out, and then it would come back in a week, even though I sprayed it with poison, because the root was still there. That should be us. And our faith in Christ, we should be weeds. Right? Okay, well, we could pick something better like an oak tree that's got deep roots, or however you want it, but the point is, the farther the root goes down, the harder it is to get us to fall over. And as we are rooted in Christ, as we are built up in Christ, we are established in the faith. And this comes from a living, growing, abiding relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We abide in him through spiritual disciplines like being in the word, being in prayer, listening to him, serving others. But we abide in him. So I read a book that challenged me uh, it's a book, I highly recommend it, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. I've been saying this a lot, I've been, I've been tossing this name out to a lot of people. It's an amazing book. One of several things that, that I was challenged to do by this book was what uh, the author called solitude and silence. Right? Every morning I read my Bible, every morning I pray, I do that before I do anything else, typically, except maybe make a cup of coffee. Um, 
And, and I love it. I love spending that time with the Lord. But it, the, this book said, how often do you just sit quietly before God? Right? You're not necessarily reading your Bible, though you may be thinking about a verse. You're not praying. You're not laying out the laundry list of things that you need. You're just sitting in God's presence, just enjoying him and abiding in his glory and his love. And I went, ooh, I don't always do that. And it's not always easy. You got dogs running around. Maybe you got kids running around. Maybe you got the neighbor kids screaming. You got somebody knocking on the front door. Your phone's ringing. What, whatever. It's not always easy, but I've tried to incorporate this practice into my daily devotions where I sit quietly and I just sit on my couch with my hands kind of while they're resting on something. And I just, I just want to listen. I just want to be there in God's presence. I just want to abide in it. And the first day I did it, so I tried to close my eyes. My goal is five minutes, right? Y'all think, oh, he's so spiritual. No, my goal is five minutes. And it's hard. It's hard to sit and do nothing for five minutes while I'm awake. And so I was sitting there, and you know, I got my eyes closed, and one eye would kind of creep open and look at the clock. No, it's only been a minute. <laughs> minute, minute and a half. Uh, shh, shh. Listen. Listen to God. You know, and, and, and finally, the, the five minutes went by, but a little ways into it, I felt like the Spirit whispered me. He goes, wow, this is really hard for you. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't do well at just stopping. Um, but this, this was a couple weeks ago when I first started doing this. And over time, it's actually gotten better. And now I don't even open my eyes and look at the clock. And the next thing I know, six minutes has gone by. Or eight minutes has gone by. Right? Just because I, I'm, I'm starting to learn to just enjoy being in his presence. That's part of being rooted and grounded. It's just putting everything else aside and just being there with him. Then he talks about the farmers and the former and the latter rain. Now, the promise of the former and latter rain is what made farmers patient. They couldn't harvest or they wouldn't harvest until the latter rain brought their crops to fruition, right? They would plant, they would have the first rain, their crops would come up. Then they would have to wait for the latter rain to give the crops what they needed to finish growing before they would harvest. If you didn't wait your crop would not be anywhere near as fruitful. Joel, chapter 2, there is a promise concerning the Holy Spirit that speaks of the former and latter rain. There is a fulfillment of this promise in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church and he has continued to be poured out on the church up to this day. And we need the promised outpouring of the Holy Spirit in these last days in order to be patient, established, and to serve the Lord in His power and to accomplish the tasks He has set before us. We all want to see that harvest. I know I do. I drive around town. I, I go to you know, a restaurant or a, or a business or I go to Walmart. I see all these people who don't know Jesus. And my heart aches for them. And some of them, I, I have the opportunity. I share the gospel with them or I invite them to church. Some of them I don't. 
And I told, I think I told this story on Wednesday. We, um, I have dinner with a couple other, or, sorry, breakfast with a couple other pastors, and we were sharing the gospel with our waitress, um, and and trying to share scripture. And and in the end, the question was posed: Would you be willing to follow Jesus? And and the person said, Well, to a point. To a point. Right, just not not all the way. And, and you know that doesn't count, right? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll come close to following Jesus. Close only works in horseshoes and hand grenades. Close doesn't work in following Jesus. I'm going to kind of follow Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus when it's convenient. I'm going to follow Jesus when it doesn't mean I have to change. I'm going to follow Jesus when it doesn't mean dying to self and being obedient to his word. Oh, of course I'm a Christian. I'm an American, aren't I? Being an American doesn't make you a Christian. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. I'm glad you're here. I love to see all your faces. Some of you aren't making as many smiles as you were earlier, but but being in this building doesn't make you a Christian. It's a living, breathing, growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, when you come here, we can help you with that. (laughs) So I'm glad you're here. But you got to have that relationship. And there's a lot of people around here who need that. And guess whose job it is to tell them? Hint, it's not mine. At least not mine alone. It's all of ours. He goes on and tells them not to grumble against one another. The word there means to sigh, murmur, groan, or hold a grudge. Right? Don't sigh about other people. You ever done that? Somebody comes and they say something to you, you're like, I've never done that. You ever get a text and, and you know, like if, if eye roll could be audible, people would hear it happen. Every now and then I get a text at 9 o'clock and I'm like, I don't want to talk to you. It's none of you guys. That's other people. None of you. You, you guys text me anytime you want. <laughs> yeah, I'd much rather you text me at 10 at night than, than at 4 in the morning, Roy. Huh? Nothing. I love Roy. Roy will text me. Every now and then I'll wake up and I'll look at my phone and I've got a notification. Roy has texted me at like 2.58 a.m. And, and it's because he thought about something and he sent it to me. And he knows I'm not going to reply till much later in the day. Um, but yeah, it just kind of cracks me up. I'm like, oh, Roy was thinking about something this morning. Um, right, that's why I said none of you. But every now and then that happens, right? Don't sigh. Don't murmur. Don't groan. Don't hold a grudge. If you really got a problem with somebody, go talk to them. Right? Don't text them. Don't even do it over a phone call. Don't do it over an email. Sit down, have a cup of coffee, go, you made me mad. This is how. Right? Or if somebody's got something against you, go, listen, I know I've done something to hurt you. I'm sorry. Imagine how much better our world would be if people would talk to each other. Instead of trying to hash things out on Facebook. Don't air your dirty laundry on Facebook ever. Such a bad idea. But the point is, we don't do that so that we're not condemned. Why? The judge stands at the door. In other words, Jesus is coming. 
We talked about this. One way or the other, Jesus is coming. And he puts it in the context of suffering. Right? Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. Take the prophets as an example of suffering and patience. So he puts this in that context. If somebody does something to us that makes us feel like we are suffering, don't grumble. Don't, don't condemn. Don't hold a grudge. Deal with it. Forgive. Move forward. And I know that sounds easy, right? It's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy. I know it's not easy. Sometimes it's very difficult to forgive other people. And it takes a lot of God working in our hearts in order to make that happen. But it's still what we're commanded to do. So he gives the prophets as an example of suffering and patience. Job in particular. Read the book of Job. See what that man went through. But we see what God had planned in the end. Romans 8.28 came true for Job before Job even knew what Romans was. And God, our God will work all things according to good. According. Wow. I should know this verse. Why, why don't I? I've had Romans 8 memorized for a long time, but for some reason it just leapt out of my brain. I guess God wanted me to read it. Romans 8 28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. He, um, Job didn't have that verse, but as you read the book of Job, you still see that happen in his life. So he told, Blessed are those who endure. We count those who did not give up as blessed. When we're patient and established in the Lord, we can have that same kind of blessing. And my brothers and sisters, I get it. There's a lot going on in the world right now. There's a lot that's going to cause us to feel impatient. There's a lot that would make it easy to give up. And this is not what we're called to do. We are called to endure. To stay under the headship of Christ. To remain steady on the path, path which God calls us to. And to remember that we don't walk alone. He's always here with us. He's always for us. He's empowering us. So we continue forward. I'm a big fan of the Babylon Bee. If you guys don't know what the Babylon Bee is, I highly encourage you to look up their website. It's a, it's a Christian satire site. And, um, you know, there's a big thing going on right now because a bunch of people are mad at Disney uh, for their, their political agenda. And it said, you know, um, the Babylon Bee article was something to the effect, you know, Christians in China who are in prison for their faith are praying for us American Christians who are being picked on by Disney. <laughs> Guys, we... I'm not saying that we don't go through difficult things as followers of Christ in our country. We do. And I'm not trying to minimize that. There are people in this world that are dying to do what we're doing right now. Literally, every time they go gather with other believers, even if it's not in a building, they are risking their lives and their freedom just to do this. Now, I hope it doesn't come to our country, but it might. Would you still be here? Would I? Well, I sure hope so. Because blessed are the ones who endure. And we have a different kind of hard 
in the United States. Our hard might look like distraction. Our hard might look like financial woes. Our hard may look like relationship woes, right? I'm not saying that just because we're American Christians, everything's great. That's not how that works. We know better. Look at our valley. We've talked about the numbers in this valley. 2% in Gunnison County go to church. 2%. And I, I have this discussion with people all the time. How many invitations have we given out as a church in the last couple of years? It's got to be in the thousands. Give or take. And how many people have come to church from all of those invitations? A couple might feel discouraging, right? Might feel like, well, what, did, what are we doing? This is so hard. Let's just go somewhere else. Uh-uh. There's a verse on the back of your bulletin. It's a verse that the elders and I look at every single time we meet. Galatians 6, 9, and 10. See, I have my own personal life verse, which is Philippians 1, 6. I personally think Galatians 6, 9, and 10 is kind of the life verse for our church right now. Let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. This is the promise of God's word. The promise of God's word is that if we don't give up, we will see the harvest. That's his promise. That's not me. I'm not blowing sunshine in your ear. I'm not trying to make you feel good. I'm telling you the promise that God has given us. If we don't give up, he'll bring the harvest. So we keep going. And I'm encouraged. And it's exciting. Verse 12. I know you guys are smelling that food thinking, is he ever going to stop? I'm almost done. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. Above all, my brethren, let your yes be yes and your no be no. James here is repeating the teaching of, uh, well, his half-brother in our Lord Jesus Christ from Matthew 5, 34 through 37. It's pretty simple. Don't swear by anything. Not by heaven because it's, the Lord's throne, not by earth, because it's his footstool, not by your own head, because you can't make one head or one hair white or black. This was before they invented hair dye. But still, that's only temporary. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Tell the truth, like Mark Twain said. If you don't lie, you don't have to remember anything. If you say yes, mean yes. If you say no, mean no. What I do find really interesting is that he says, but above all. Think of all the things we've talked about today. Not trusting in riches. Not trusting in the corruption of riches. Being patient for the return of Jesus Christ. Enduring the suffering and the difficulty that we may go through. Trusting that God is gracious and merciful and that he has a plan. He's talked about all that. And he says, above all, tell the truth. That struck me that he puts honesty 
above all. At least in the context of this passage. Why is honesty so important? I only wrote down three reasons. There's more. I wrote down three reasons that I think honesty is super important. One, lies are of the devil. John 8, 44. Jesus said that the devil is the father of lies. When he lies, he's talking of his own resources. So you, you have to consider that if you're thinking, well, I can just tell a little white lie or I can just bend the truth a little bit or I can outright tell a whopper of a lie. Guess whose example you're following? I don't want to follow Satan's example. He's the bad guy. If you didn't already know that, like I'm pretty sure you did. I don't want to follow that example. Number two, lies ruin reputations. Our reputation and more importantly, his reputation. You call yourself a Christian and then you lie? You call yourself a Christian and you hold that back? Well, I can't trust you. You ever been lied to? Proverbs 12, 22 and 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12 are two great verses for that. I hate being lied to. I hate it. I would rather somebody walk up to me and go, man, you're ugly, you're fat, and I hate you. Thanks. At least I know where we stand. We're good. Then to look me in the face and tell me they love me and tell me they have my best interest in heart when I know they don't. I just, oh, I can't stand being lied to. Smack me. I'd rather be smacked. I'd almost rather you steal from me. Don't steal from me, please. But I, then I hate being lied to. I hate it. And there's a really good reason for that. And I think I've shared this with you before. I used to be a really good liar. You can ask my wife. She remembers. Before I was a Christian, long time, it's back in the 90s, right? Doesn't count. Because everyone's trying to forget the 90s. I used to lie just to see if I could get away with it. I would lie about things I didn't need to lie about just to see if I could pull it off. And more often than not, I did. Very rarely did I get caught. I got saved. Jesus Christ came into my heart, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and you can ask my wife, I can't even lie as a joke anymore. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that I'm, I've never been dishonest since I got saved, because that would be dishonest. But I just, I, I, I can't lie like I used to. I can't get away with it the way I used to. It's like I had a gift for lying that the Lord took away, <laughs> which I'm very grateful for. I'm very, very grateful for. But once somebody lies to you, how easy is it to trust them again? How easy is it to take them at their word once they've lied? It takes a long time to rebuild that trust. Third, we are commanded to not lie, and we are commanded to speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4, 15 through 32. Highly encourage you to read those verses. That's just three reasons. Three very simple reasons, and the Bible is filled with many more. Spend some time in Proverbs. The book of Proverbs will tell you, to be honest. If we want to stay out of the devil's traps, then we don't want to listen to or tell lies. If we want a good reputation and we want to honor God in our life as a witness to other people, then we shouldn't tell lies. If we want to be obedient to God and his word, then we tell the truth. 
And I would highly encourage any of you to spend some time doing a word study in the scriptures on truth and lies and see all that God has to say on the issue. I just brought up three. There's many, many, many more. So as we close, once again, I can't help but express my love for the practical style of the book of James. What did he teach us today? Don't trust in riches. Be established in our faith and relationship with God. Patiently wait for his return. Endure by the power of the Holy Spirit, continuing to move forward, because he's going to bring the harvest. And what did he end with? Don't tell any lies. Tell the truth. He just, James just lays it out there. I love it. So I'm going to do what I always do. I'm going to close with a couple questions to help us take it home. Number one, as always, because this is the issue that's most important, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He rose from the grave on the third day. The Bible says that whoever believes in him will be saved. If you don't have that relationship, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters, because that's got to be first. Once you have that relationship, then we can deal with a few other things, but a relationship with Jesus Christ is first. So if there's anybody here, anybody online today, if you're not sure about that relationship or you want to begin that relationship, with Jesus Christ, you want to place your faith in the one who gave everything for you, let us know. Leave me a message or a comment. Or if you're here, grab me after church. We'll talk about it. But it's easy to do. And he loves you so much that he gave his son so that you wouldn't have to spend eternity in hell. You wouldn't have to spend eternity separated from him. But you could spend eternity in his presence. And if you're not sure about that, well, you got to be sure about that before you can even worry about anything else. Number two, are you trusting in riches? Right? I, I don't know if you are. Um, I know I worry about money a lot more than I should, so I've had to do some repenting over this question. Um, but are you trusting in riches? It, it, if you are, then repent and trust the Lord instead. Are you having problems with patience? Don't answer that. Not out loud in public. We all do. Join the club. What is patience? Well, patience is that we, we think that God's not going to come through, or we think he's not going to come through in time, or we think he's not going to deal with something, and we go, blah, blah, blah. It's about trusting in him to take care of things. Finally, are you having a problem with honesty? Well, I'm going to think some of you are. Nobody's hand went up. I'm joking. Again, repent. Focus on the truth. Last week, I encouraged everyone to take one step forward in the power of God's Holy Spirit. Maybe that step for you today is to begin a relationship with Jesus. Maybe that step is to return to a relationship with him. Maybe that step is to be filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Maybe that step is repenting for trusting in the wrong thing or being impatient or not living in honesty as God calls us to. Whatever it is, take the step. Take the next step and seek God to do a wonderful work in your life. And if you need help with that, that's why we're here. We're a church family. We want to help each other with that. We want to walk alongside one another as we all follow Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your word, for your son, for all that we study today. Father, I pray that you would work in our hearts. 
whatever issue it is that any of us are facing or dealing with, help us. If we need to repent, to repent. If we need a relationship with you to start or return to that relationship, help us to follow after you, Lord. Help us to live the way Jesus lived, to love the way Jesus loved, and to serve the way Jesus served. It's in his name we pray. Amen.